Good morning to you here from MOD Lynham in Wiltshire. Uh, this morning we're going to take this message from uh, Psalm 126. If you have your Bibles, please follow along with me. When the Lord restores the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongues with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy bringing his sheaves with him. Uh, Psalm 126 is grouped among the Psalms of Ascent, that group of Psalms that range from Psalm 120 through to Psalm 134. And actually, this, this Psalm falls roughly in the middle of this grouping, and it's fitting then, in God's providence that this psalm's key concept should focus on the redeeming nature of our God. If you were asked to describe God as a Christian, there's, there's certainly many ways in which we could describe Him, but perhaps one of the most fitting uh, attributes we could can, we could present about our God is the fact that He is a redeeming God. The God of the Bible is the redeeming God. The God who can take our most messed up circumstances and work it for our good and for His glory. The God who can take people like we have in the psalm, for example. We see in the psalm, uh, you know, people who were in a very difficult situation and brought, God brought them out of that and redeemed them. Uh, in, in the psalm, we see that these pilgrims, uh, they were remembering God, the God who delivered them. We see these people reminiscing over the deliverance that was worked by their God in the times past. But they don't only just focus on that. They now in their present actually find themselves praying that this deliv deliverance or this redemption would continue in this present state that they found them, themselves in to bring them even to a more blessed state. Uh, many, many of us may think over our current circumstances and think how, how good was it not just a couple of months ago when all of us could meet together in our churches and praise God 
in close proximity to one another, singing psalms and, 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 and praying together and, and just being blessed by our communal activity as we worship our God. Yet, even if we look back fondly on those, uh, those, those times, it is still good for us to realize that there is so much, even now, that we can be thankful for. The fact that we can still meet uh, via technology in this way is something that we can be truly grateful to, to our God at this moment. But in this passage that we just read this morning, we see that the psalm takes us back in time to the time when the exiles returned from Babylon under Zerubbabel, Ezra, and Nehemiah. It was a time when the foundation of the second temple was laid and when the Feast of Tabernacles were, for example, reinstated. Uh, all of these things that were happening among the people at that moment led them to experience great joy in their hearts. Uh, the joy that these psalm, the psalmist express in the psalm. Uh, the psalmist describes Judah as being released from a terrible captivity. You know, Judah was, was the, the people of God. In the psalmist, it's referred to as Zion. And, 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 and it was, in fact, the city of Jerusalem. But we need to remember that in, in, in that context, you had the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom. And there came a split under the reign of Reboam. Uh, when the people in the north swerved further and further away from their God, departing into apostasy under the rule of their wicked kings. Whereas Judah in the south uh, remained to at least some extent faithful to their God. They, 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 they remained to be the remnant of God's people. But it wasn't long before they too were seduced by idolatry and was taken into exile as a result of God's judgment upon them. A number of years later, this redeeming God, who the psalmist speaks of, speaks of works through pagan kings to redeem his people and bring them back into the promised land. It is, it, is, it is this thread of redemption which we see throughout the Bible as God again and again rescues and redeems His people and restores them, in this instance of this psalm, back into Zion. And this is the redeeming thread that we see throughout the psalm as well. This is the key concept that is being communicated in the psalm to us. And I want us to focus our attention on this. And, and, and as, we, as we consider this redemptive thread, 
we re recognize that it eventually reaches its climax as the Son of God comes and dies for us on the cross at Calvary. And it's because of that that when we consider this psalm, we don't only consider how the psalmist reminds us of the wonder of God's redemptive work throughout history, but actually that the psalm also points us forward to the redemption that is in Christ Jesus and ultimately God's continual work of redemption as he saves sinners in our present day, the year and now. God, we recognize this, isn't it? We see it often that God daily brings people to himself through the gospel of his son. But it doesn't just stop there. The psalmist, I think, has in, 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 in his view also the reality of the redemption in the future. That God will eventually will, will bring all things to conclusion and do away with sin and suffering and the devil. And, and my prayer for us, brothers and sisters, as we consider this psalm this morning, is that I hope we will focus, our, our attention will come to the point where we recognize that, that this thread of redemption binds all of God's revealed word to us together. Now, we are going to see the inference of, of this redemptive thread by looking at how this psalm draws our attention towards God's grace in redeeming His people. And, and we will see His the faithfulness of God in committing, in, in his own commitment to completing his work, not only with the people of Judah, the specific target that we have in this psalm, but also keeping in mind how God's redemption will ultimately, through the Lord Jesus Christ, be extended to all the world. But let's break this psalm into three sections. The three sections we will consider, I've, I've, I've thought of three R's that we could refer to. And the first is that we'll look at the reality that is presented to us in the psalm, the experience that the psalmist himself went through. Second, secondly, we will look at the reaction of those involved in the psalm. So reaction. And then thirdly, we will focus on the request that is made in the psalm. So that's the three R's. Let's, let's narrow in first and foremost on the reality of the uh, experience of this psalmist. What is the psalmist reflecting on? The psalmist starts off by, reflect, reflect, by reflecting first on a time when the people of God was under great distress, great difficulty. Look at verse 1. Verse one. It says there, When the Lord brought back the, back the captives 
to Zion. Uh, what, what the psalmist has in mind is that time of captivity in Babylon, when, when the people of God longed to be returned to the promised land, uh, when God's people yearned to be back there where they could worship their God freely. Oh, think, think of the amount of privileges that these that this people of God took for granted prior to them being taken into exile. How many Christians throughout the world uh, will not be able to, in our current circumstances, uh, won't be able to resonate with, with, with this people at this moment? We're not in exile. I'm not saying it's as bad as that. But certainly we too now have a longing to meet together with other believers, to be back in fellowship where we can worship God in our sanctuaries, hearing the word of God being proclaimed to us in person and singing together and praying and praising our God. As I said earlier, we thank God for technology that we still, still at least in some extent, are able to do this through the means that we are doing it through today. Yeah, but the psalmist, are, are, you know, reflect on their time being away in Babylon. And perhaps Psalm 137 is one of the clearest expressions of the hearts of those pilgrims that were taken away from, from the promised land. Uh, you know, as it expressed their longing to be back in Zion. It says they, uh, by the waters of Babylon... There we sat down and wept. This is Psalm 137. By the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept. When we remembered Zion, oh, the willows there, on the willows there we hang up a lyre. For there our captors required of us songs and our tormentors mirth, saying, Sing us one of those songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skills. Let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you. If I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy. The psalmist Contemplation of the reality that they in do not only focus on their captivity, but it is driven forward by the almost unbelievable faithfulness of God in their deliverance and redemption. Their redemption came so suddenly and unexpectedly upon them that they were almost caught in a daze. Look, look at the second part of, of verse 1. It says there that they were like men who dreamed. Their redemption was so wonderful, so overwhelming, that God's people could almost not believe themselves to be free. They could not be Truly experiencing freedom, could they? 
Is this real? Was what was going on in their mind? They were thinking, is this real? Is this a reality or is this a dream that we're in? It's almost too good to be true. The, the reality of their freedom looks like it was so all-consuming in this psalm that the captives who were now set free could almost not comprehend the reality of their freedom. But it, it was real. They were free. God delivered His people. God redeemed His people. I can, I can just imagine it, can't you? The day when the Lord returns, whether it be a rapture, whether it be Jesus returning in his final judgment, what, whatever your views may be about the coming of our Lord, can you imagine what it will be like on that day when we are there in his physical presence? Will, will our mouths not be filled with joy, filled with laughter? Will our tongues not shout for joy at the coming of our great King? You know, it, it, is, it is widely recorded that after the Second World War, when many of the captive, captive soldiers were set free, uh, many of them struggled to really recognize that they were actually liberated and set free. The, re the reality of the experience of this psalmist doesn't only stay here in the, in the Old Testament, it's also expressed in the New Testament context. When we have the clearest picture of redemption as it is displayed to us in light of the New Testament, as we see the act of redemption played out upon the cross of Jesus Christ. You see, verse 1 in this psalm is not only pointing us backwards in reflection on God's faithfulness throughout history, but it's also pointing us forward to our present reality. For everyone who has indeed experienced redemption in Christ Jesus, I believe likewise will be able to testify of how being set free from the consequence of sin, being set free from the power of sin, can sometimes feel like a dream, can sometimes get us to the point where we say, is this, is this real? Is this true? You know, in my interaction with some of the soldiers I, I speak to, I spoke to a young man a couple of months back who said that when he spoke prior to coming to Christ, every second word that he said, every second word that came out of his mouth was a cuss word. And, and how, he told me that how when he put his faith in Jesus, it was almost instantaneous that he changed the way he spoke. And he said after the first few days when he recognized this change, he, he was almost afraid that it was just a, a temporal thing. He could not believe that he had been truly 
set free from that filthy tongue that he used to have. Another guy I spoke to who was an alcoholic told me how he had feared for many, many years that he would fall back into, into alcoholism. But when the Lord set him free from that addiction, he was truly free. He had no desire for alcohol in any way. And, and he, said, he said in some ways he could not believe that he had deliverance from, from that. When, when we come to a place where we realize that apart from Christ, we, we are nothing. That apart from Christ, we are wretched and embondaged by sin. It can, it can very easy, easily seem unreal that God would save us from all of that. And, and, and when he does, when he delivers us, it can almost seem like it might be a dream. We, we, we thank God that by his Holy Spirit, he gives us assurance. He gives us certainty that what God has done for us is actually real. It is tangible and it is everlasting through that we we recognize and we experience the faithfulness of our God we experience his grace as we grow in the reality of what it means to be sons and daughters of the living God for new for new Christians being being brought into God's kingdom is certainly a wonderful experience. The most astounding thing that will ever happen to, to that person. Think back, brothers and sisters, think back of your own conversion. On that time when God's grace just seemed so tangible to you. It seemed like it overflowed every area of your life. Something that truly, I hope, is still very precious to you. And certainly those memories are very precious to all of us still this day as God's grace continues to impact us on our, in our day-to-day -day Christian lives. But it's those memories that brings us here to this second, second verse of this psalm and actually focus now on the reaction of both the, 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 the people that are being focused on in the psalm and those looking in upon them. The psalmist, as he thinks of this initial reaction of God's kindness and faithfulness over his people, records for us two responses. And we will look at them again, both in context of the psalmist's experience, but we will also look at them and consider how it points us yet again forward in this thread of redemption, which we see throughout Scripture. Look at the reaction of God's people in the psalm. This is the first part of verse 2. He says, 
Our mouths were, light, were filled with laughter, our tongues with shouts of joy. The people of God are so overjoyed of God's deliverance that they could not help but testify of God's grace, of God's mercy and God's faithfulness. How, how long, think of this, how long had they not waited and groaned for that day when God would deliver them according to the promises of His Word? Now, now this day has come upon them. This day was here. The, the type of freedom and sensation you experience when a major event has happened or world War has ended when people start hugging and kissing each other because they are so filled with joy. You know, I, I sometimes wonder if as Christians, we, when we think of our own lives and, and, and our time spent with God, can we remember times or periods when we were so filled with joy, the joy of salvation? The joy of knowing that you are loved by God, that Jesus gave his life for you. A joy that overflows your heart that, that so much that you could hardly help yourself from, from st or stopping. You could not stop yourself from smiling as you, as you walk down to the shop or singing you know, one of those wonderful hymns as you go through, through, through your day because you recognize that your Savior has redeemed you. You recognize all that your Savior has done for you. That urgency that existed in your heart, or maybe I pray still exists in your heart, to build other believers up in their faith, to, to, to love them and to do good work so that God may be glorified, that we may encourage one another, especially, especially as we see the day of Christ's return coming nearer and nearer, a day when we will no longer have the opportunity to proclaim to unbelievers the tremendous things that our God has done for us. You know, as believers, we should be people who are filled with confidence in God. Because of this great work that he's done for us and the great reward which he has promised that he's keeping for us in heaven. Is that a reality to us? Do we feel that? Do we taste it as, as to speak? Is, is God's reward that he has promised for you so tangible? Is his grace so real that your heart is filled with laughter and joy like the psalmist this year? Could you, like Moses, perhaps say, I would rather suffer the reproach of God's people than revel in all the riches that Egypt has to offer? Of all people, brothers and sisters, 
Christians should be those who are the most joyful, the most certain and most secure people in this world because we have been redeemed by the eternal God who is all-powerful. This, this joy is something that we can't produce in and of ourselves. We, we can't say, listen, you know, I know God commands me to be joyful, so I'm just going to do it. No, that joy has to come from God. It is a natural result of walking with Christ. But we are so caught up in the busyness of this world often that we miss so many opportunities to experience the joy of laying ourselves down for somebody, laying our lives down for another, taking a risk with the things that God has put before us so that we may glorify Him more and more. Often, I think, brothers and sisters, the easiest way for us to see whether we are truly consumed by this reality of Christ, of Christ is to look at how other people react to our lives, react to our professions. And this, this, this brings us to the second part of this verse in verse 2. Look at, look, at, look at how the pagans reacted uh, to, to the pilgrims in this psalm. The second part of it still reads this. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The joy and the testimony of the psalmist and God's people are so vibrant, so real that every nation round about them hears and sees what God has done for his people. There's the no denying it. When, 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 when the nations look in, they can see the reality of the joy that is in the hearts of these people. They can see that this is a people who have now set themselves apart for God. God, God's mercy has fallen upon his people. Sometimes I think it will be a good idea for us as Christians to stop and ask ourselves, how real does my faith appear to be to other people in my everyday life? Like the old saying goes, if you were accused of being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Is the reality of your walk with Christ seen by people in your day-to-day -day life? Can they see the joy? Can they see the grace uh, that has been placed upon you? In the psalmist, we see that their experience was so all-consuming that it could not be contained. It was real, therefore it was noticed. I think sometimes we just have to take a risk 
Sometimes we just allow, have to allow ourselves to be that little bit vulnerable. So what if people see you, like I said earlier, smiling the one whole day? So what if they hear you sing Amazing Grace as you walk your way down to Sainsbury's or something like that? As true as verse 3 in this psalm is for the psalmist, is it, is it not more true for us? Listen to verse 3. The Lord has done great things for us. And we are filled with joy. Could, could this psalmist, think of this for a moment, could this psalmist ever have imagined the greatness of the sacrifice on Calvary? Is our hearts not filled with joy knowing that because of Jesus, redemption was brought for us? And we are the ones who are forgiven and we can say with the psalmist, therefore, the Lord has done great things for us and we are filled with joy. Yet, as the psalmist reflects on the reality of this joy and all of the wondrous things that the Lord has done for him, he is moved to pray what we have here in verse 4. He says, restore our fortunes like the streams in the Negev. This is where the psalmist now makes his request, our third point, known to God. The psalmist is not content with the status quo. He's not content to, to just let things be or live merely in the, 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 the blessings that he have with him right now merely to exist in 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 his current experience he wants to push forward he wants to take it up a notch he wants more of what god has to offer was it not same the same for for um for daniel when in chapter 11 um the believers are told that they should do great exploits in the midst of the wickedness and tyranny that was all around them. We are called as believers, brothers and sisters, not to just sit back and cower away, not to just stay there and, and, and revel in whatever current experiences you may be going through. No, we are called to go forward. We are called to serve our King. It is, it is this mindset, the mindset in which the psalmist brings his request before God, a request that he desires that God would restore the fortunes of Zion. And for the Christian, my brothers and sisters, what riches do not await us? More than enough that you would gladly and joyfully 
Spend your life laying it down in service of your king. He has got great rewards for us. He has promised us, has he not, in the word, that he is keeping an inheritance for us. An inheritance that is imperishable, unfading, undefiled. And which is guarded in heaven by the power of God himself. Oh brothers and sisters. Of all people in the world. We as Christians. Should not be afraid of taking risks for our king. We, we need to remember when we step outside of our comfort zone for Christ, if, if we are afraid to speak to strangers about the Lord Jesus or to speak to somebody about what Christ has done for us, we should remember we are not going to do those things in our own strength. We do it in the strength of Christ. We lean upon him. We do not lean on our own strength. We can take those risks. And this really leads us to verses, four, uh, verses 5 and 6 of this psalm. Where we see God's answer to this request. God replies and he says, Those who sow in tears shall weep with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping bear the seed of sowing shall come home with shouts of joy bringing his sheaves with him. Now this text has often been used for missions, and, and some would say that it would be taking that passage out of context. Uh, so let's, let's think about that for a moment. The psalmist has just asked God for more. He was not content just to sit back and do nothing, so to speak. He, he prays to God and asks for more. And God answers by stating how he should go about doing his work. Many commentators would say, you know, that, that this psalm, has, the psalmist has borrowed these ideas from uh, ancient thoughts or fertility cults. Um, or, or, or stuff that, that happened in, in, in the nations around and about them. Um, to tell you the truth, I, I, I don't care what they think. Because I know that this is the word of God. And this is God's answer to the request that was presented to him. And God's reply to his people is, is this. He says to them, if, if they were to... To, to continue sowing in tears of repentance, the nation will be brought home with a joyful return to the place that the Lord has repaired, prepared for them. And, and, and with that in mind, brothers and sisters, I don't believe that we're taking this verse out of context when we consider it in light of the thread of redemption that we see throughout the word of God. Then, then it fits the context perfectly. Then truly this psalm serves as an example 
reminding us of the reality of being set free from sin, reminding us of the reality of the freedom we as believers have in the Lord Jesus Christ as new creatures who are being helped by the Holy Spirit every day. We have these certainties as the joy of Christ is poured into our hearts by the Spirit of God. We have these assurances. This psalm, brothers and sisters, serve as a reminder of how we should react or how we do indeed react when we are overcome with the reality of this joy and peace that surpasses all understanding. It serves as a challenge when we reflect on how others might react upon the testimonies of our lives, on the genuineness of our conversion as it's lived out before a watching world. And then finally, brothers and sisters, this psalm seals our thoughts this morning with this tremendous promise of God. If we are so moved when we consider the price that our Savior prayed, paid upon that cross for us when he hanged there and dealt with the wrath of God, the only God-man who was able to consume the wrath of God and justify wicked men and women like us. When we consider this, then we... I'm sure would be moved in the same way when we consider the price that our Savior paid. That the Lamb of God would be worthy of the price of His suffering, the price He paid for people all over the world who perhaps we know don't know it yet then should that not fill us with a drive to seek for more blessing in the privilege that we have to bring this word to others? For people all over the United Kingdom who don't know that the Lord Jesus died on a cross for them. Then I believe, brothers, when we, when we think of that reality, then we could truly, just like the psalmist, never be content to just sit back in our homes and stagnate in a Christianity that makes no difference in the world. No, no, we too, just like the psalmist here, should be encouraging one another we too should be crying out for greater blessing from our hearts before God. That we may be moved to pray more earnestly, more selflessly for the lost that they may be saved. That Christ may be honored 
in every area that we find ourselves in, in Devon, in England, in the United Kingdom, that Christ may be honored in all the world. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wonderful psalm that you've given us. Lord, we ask that you would help us as we consider the wonderful reality that you have redeemed us, that you have brought us by the, bought us by the precious blood of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that that reality may fill our hearts with such joy and laughter that like the, the people who have spoken of in the psalm, that people may look at us and go, what is it, is it that those Christians have, O oh, Father, and that we will never be content with just a mediocre Christianity, but that we would be Christians who seek to serve you in a lost world, making the Savior known to lost men and women all over the United Kingdom and the rest of the world. O oh, Father, bless us by restoring to us a desire to make our Savior known. In Jesus' name, Amen.